We are back again with a fresh episode of the Council's Connection. I am yours, Fabian Vixen. On this very special episode, we're highlighting National School Council Week and Black Lives Matter Week with Steve Sharp, Laura Ross, Alicia Oglesby, and John Wosu. We're going to talk about how we get t- how we are tying in Black Lives Matter and school counseling and a plethora of other things besides Laura's cockatiel and her cats. And we're going to have my housekeeping items. And of course, my final thought. This is a part of the show. I say, let's go. here national school counseling week and we have some school council of course this is the council connection i'm yours baby because i have four transcendent awesome wonderful whatever adjectives you want to add on to here uh, four councils that have um, granted their time to spend with me on national school council week and we have steve sharp hey really Ross. happy to be here I think a good adjective might be melanated as well. Melanated. Melanated. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, we have a melanated podcast. We got Steve Sharp, Laura Ross, John Wosu, and Alicia Oglesby. People, how are we doing? How are we doing? Feeling good, feeling great. How are you? <laughs> feeling great, feeling good. All right. I well. just want to know how you feel. You didn't get that. Shout you, out, you shout know. out to Speaker Box, Love Below. Shout yeah. out to, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling amazing. Yeah, it's a good day. I'm just trying not to yawn so I don't have to buy everybody around um, coercively. Right. It's going to be me. I'll be the one, first one to fall on that. Every little thing I do. All right, all right. It's been a long day. We're good. I think we're good. A little delirious, but yeah, we're we going to have a good time. Yeah, we're going to do that, man. So we're going to get right into it. Um, of course, this is National. We're recording this during National School Council Week, and we want to do something different. Steve brought this idea to all of us, and I appreciate everybody's time and collaborating on this. And we want to tie in National School Council Week and how does that apply to apply with and collaborate with BLM. If you do not know what BLM stands for, it's Black Lives Matter. So we want to make sure that we don't have, we're not acronyming you to death or give you too much alphabet soup. So NSCW, National School Council Week, and BLM, Black Lives Matter. So that way, if you're going to be listening to the podcast on Thursday, you'll know what those acronyms mean. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Why is it important to talk about school counseling and Black Lives Matter this week? Whoever wants to go first, you can go because I'm not going to handcuff anybody in this podcast. Whoever want to jump in, jump in. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Fabian, for me, I, like when we really start thinking about 
like we have to think of like our role as school counselors really in the 21st century and really is like if we really are going to be agents of social change what does that mean and who can we make the most change for and we understand when we look at any of the metrics right now uh trying to create a transformative experience for our black and brown students right now is something we most necessarily need to focus on uh really when it comes to uh some of those most impacted by the pandemic and the systems that failed our students. I think this was a great opportunity for us to really highlight the work of school counselors to be instrumental in the lives of black students. So I was just thought, let's celebrate these two pieces of it. But that's my quick hot take. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's important. I mean, I think it's a, a great opportunity to really make sure that we're being intentional about blending the two because of our like steve mentioned our unique roles in schools like this is we're supposed to disrupt systems and make sure that um, schools are functioning for the benefit of all the students in the building and so i think um black lives matter at school has an incredible curriculum um, that i think really addresses anti-blackness specifically um, in the school environment. And so I think that it's, you know, it's important for school counselors to recognize what that looks like. I think um, too often we are charged with making sure that everyone is nice to each other, which is fine, um, but we can go a little bit deeper than that. And we can be a little bit more nuanced than that, right? We have the skills and the education and the training, hopefully, or we can continue to get the training um, to really unpack that with students and really think about our most marginalized students um, and what their experiences are like in our schools and other schools. Um, so yeah, I think that it's an opportunity for us to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to say that hasn't been said. Um, except for like, there are just lots of words out there that haven't been said already. But regardless, I think um, ultimately, if you're just looking at the data and you're following the numbers, I mean, the stats in the story should align and point in a particular direction. If you, if at your school, you just look at the, the rates, whether we're talking about academics, whether we're talking about discipline, whether we're talking about attendance, there's a good chance that there will be a need that shows up that suggests that black students at your school need to know that their lives matter. So I just, I feel like from a very straightforward, like non-cheeky standpoint, we need stuff that shows that black lives matter at school because the data shows that there may be facing more challenges. They may be more vulnerably, they might be more vulnerable socially, economically, politically, right? And it's leading to these outcomes that are disparate. At the end of the day, as school counselors who are called to look at data to help move systems, I think the data would suggest in many cases that Black lives do need to matter at school, which is more of an, a reason to, you know, celebrate that along with National School Counselor Week. If we really trying to be school counselors, you know? I'll just, just echo all that. And Alicia said the word and, and Steve and John described it. 
um, I think it's perfect for these weeks to be together um, for school counselors to be intentional um, about the work that um, our black students need us to be doing. And it's a lot of stuff that um, folks talked about or tweeted about or read about or hashtagged about um, three years ago, um, but we aren't being intentional about actually doing that work in the schools as school counselors. And we have um, our, our role in the school, we have a hand on everything and can be a part of all of that conversation, all of that action to make those changes um, in a system that wasn't built for and made for black students. And we can help in creating, if nothing else, help creating, like changing that system completely, but in the meantime, changing practices and things that are happening right now for our students while we, while that whole system changes. Yeah, I mean, just listening to you, like, Lori, you make such a great point because like, when we talk about like the piece that I heard from you, it is that action piece and like school counselors, not guidance counselors, like we're agents of action within the school system. And like, so when we talk about like the Black Lives Matter School Week, it's, it's a week of action. And like, there's some basic parts that we understand that we're trying to do to transform the school system. It's to end zero tolerance discipline. It's to hire more black and brown teachers. It's to mandate black history and ethnic studies be incorporated in the K-12 curriculum. And it's to fund counselors, school counselors, not cops. Because we understand like, we as counselors, we, we are of a unique position where uh, we get to capture our students' narrative. We get to share that history and we understand that's our biggest advocacy tool and one of the biggest tools that can help us to transform the school system as well. And yes, all of our, all of our students, black, white, brown, they all deserve to understand the rich nuances of black history and how it's transformative in the American history. All of our students need to understand that uh, really the talent, skill, and caliber of black and brown educators and how they meaningful content contribute to the educational system and how all students benefit from those. And we understand that all of our students are damaged by zero tolerance programs. Just some are damaged more than others. And so these are things that, again, if we can focus on transforming Black lives. We understand that all of our students' lives will be improved. That being said, if Black lives matter in school, dot, dot, dot. Start with Alicia. Okay, so I'm finishing the sentence. If Black Lives Matter in school, then um, Black students will see themselves in every area of excellence and success that they can imagine for themselves. Um, and I think part of that image you know when you can imagine yourself doing the things and thriving in the ways that you want and you have a school system that supports that and encourages that and empowers that um then that equals a certain level of freedom Everybody don't jump in at the same time. I don't know. I said, y'all go, y'all, 
Okay, I'll give my six. No, I, I, I was quiet just because I was moved by Alicia's words. I was moved too. I just wasn't moving. Yeah, I, try to, I try to be yeah. moving as often as yeah. possible. An inspiration to the people, you know? I, I really I like we I thought there was an order. I was just waiting. No, just just I told you I'm I told you I'm not handcuffing y'all, man. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not handcuffing nobody. Like, don't call on me, man. I'm calling on someone. I'm calling on Steve. I'm not handcuffing nobody. Y'all go. Yeah, pop popcorn. Popcorn. Uh all right, I'll go. I mean, like, I really like this prompt. Like, this is a prompt from a few years ago from like uh Black Lives Matter official that put out on, I think, Instagram for response and comments. And I just, like, if Black Lives Matter at school, then our Black students will not hope to or not need to seek out people who are going to embrace them, love them, and support them throughout their educational journey that will be present in their everyday lives. Popcorn. Well, brother, John. Um, if Black Lives Matter is school, it will be, they wouldn't have to stress about having a bad day or having a bad moment ever. Uh, and that, that moment or that snapshot defining them permanently. Um, And they also wouldn't have to have anxiety about being perfect and having to be three times better or two times better. Because it wouldn't be required. It wouldn't be an expectation. It wouldn't be something that everyone said it's to the point where it's a cliche, but Cliches are cliches sometimes because they're true. Um, so yeah, I I feel like mediocrity or being average would just be okay. Like being mundane or being basic would be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, Laura. <laughs> um, okay, so my thoughts on this come, I have two, I guess, two thoughts. Yes to all that you said. Um, this is from, I think, just what I've experienced in and observed in my school. Um, if Black Lives Matter at school, then Black joy wouldn't be seen as a distraction. Um, and if Black Lives Matter at school, then Black voice wouldn't be seen as disrespectful. Again, mine is gonna suck. If Black Lives Mattered in school, we'd be running everything. That's the post. That's the quote. No need. I mean, 
we really cared about our black boys, black girls, or black non-binary. Um, there be limit, limitless potential in what they can do. We wouldn't need, have the need for excessive 504s. We have the excessive need for saying somebody's special ed. We wouldn't have the excessive need for discipline referrals. We wouldn't have the excessive need for all that stuff because studies have shown that the majority of ESC students or special ed students, whatever acronym you want to use, those students are of color. And it's not because, it's because of a, a universal screener or it's a progress monitoring data showing that a student is, but no, the student might just be hungry and haven't eaten a hot meal in three months and they just need somebody to feed them. Something simple as that. Or it could be something where they just develop a little bit slower and they, or they didn't have the proper pre-K education, something as simple as that. Every student is not, a, doesn't, unlimited potential. We will run the world. That's that's the quote. That's all I got to say. I told you, I'm not going to talk a lot. I'm going to let y'all run the show. I'm not handcuffing you know, y'all. Okay. I'm enjoying myself with all the blackness on this show. Okay. So that's all I'm going to say on that part right there. All right. Fabian, you, for someone who's not talking much, like you hit on a lot of really key parts of like Black Lives Matter school. Like there are a lot of key principles that we understand, like to create a transform experience for our black students. Like we need to understand like some key pieces of it. And it's is that restorative justice creates school communities more than school discipline. It's like understanding like we can build and train empathy. These are skills that can be applied for our students and our staff to create a more supportive community for all of our students centered in our black students. And with that, again, like I really, the one part that I really heard a lot was like, is not even where we need to explain black joy, where black joy is to be expected. And like, that can happen. We can, like, we see that we can create joy with our students through our ongoing commitment through them, through our loving engagement with them and we understand like engagement is a practical skill that we can provide for our students, not just in our curricula and pedagogy, but also in how we approach them. And that can be in the most loving manner. It is representing the diversity and celebrating the diversity of our schools, not just along race, but also along sex and gender um, and embracing that full global perspective for our students. It can be queer affirming, it can be trans affirming, and we can have some of these collective values like safety, like opportunity. And then in addition to that, we understand, we can recognize that our students come from many intergenerational experiences that by opportunity for some, disadvantage from others, but our rich culture for all of them to experience. And we consider that knowing that black families are strong families. They offer so much for our students are not the barrier to education, but they're key to all of our student successes. And then one other thing is that the family is not just a nuclear family, but the family is a village. And then just frankly, like we've been doing and say, like being unapologetically black and also affirming the power of black women to be centered in this community as well. Like these are pieces that are centered in Black Lives Matter school that also are principles that we take into our working in our daily work with students and families as school counselors to create the best school environment for them. So you hit that all mildly profanely, but yeah, I heard you. I'm like I'm gonna let y'all talk. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that
um, we should really emphasize is empathy. I think we talk about a lot of different gaps. And so in addition to everything that Steve said and that we've all kind of been talking about up until this point, um, I think this, this like the science behind empathy is being able to recognize what someone is experiencing emotionally, being able to withhold judgment and, and maintain a space that is judgment-free in that moment, and then being able to reflect back to that person you're interacting with in a way that they think you understand, right? So it's not just saying I'm here from you. It's not just being like, hey, I, I can I can try your shoes on, right? I can walk a mile in your shoes. I mean, like all of those metaphors that we have for empathy don't really get at the root of what it is. And when it comes to black folks, we talk about a lot of gaps, but we don't talk about the empathy gap and how difficult it is to really, um, take the time to recognize and understand and acknowledge what folks have been through or even to to perceive what folks the places that people are the social locations that people exist in and and also consider what would your life be like had you been through the historical traumas that black folks in this country have been through and continue to have to navigate um, and even if it's not trauma the stressors because there is additional stress that comes with being black. So I just feel like 2020 was was cool. I mean, it was pretty terrible, but like it was cool in the sense that you had a lot of folks who were like, hey, George Floyd, that was bad. That shouldn't have happened, right? And then they were like, hey, let's give money to things that black people care about. And like black people, what do you want help with, right? There was like all of this emphasis on, we care, we're here, we want to help. And then by 2021, it was like, wait, we still on this? Y'all, y'all not good yet? And that, and that to me, when we talk about Black Lives Matter at school, in addition to all of these principles and all of these um these foundational guide guiding points, um, I think it's also acknowledging our history with an empathic lens, because the reality is that there have been multiple points throughout history where we're like the majority of white affluent people or at least enough of them are like hey we did something wrong let's commit to doing better and then before things are better they're like wait we still on this y'all not y'all like it's so i just i feel like acknowledging that pattern of behavior where it's, it's like hey we feel bad <laughs> or hey we look bad in this moment so let's Let's try to make it seem like we're not as bad as we look. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. I think there are these moments where we try to stay, take a step forward, and then you know, eventually it's like, wait a minute, we're doing too much. Y'all, y'all aren't, y'all aren't lifting your stuff up by your bootstraps yet. Like, yeah, like I think there needs to be some empathy there to understand that some of the way, some of the reasons that your student might not interact with you in a very trusting way is because they've either had experiences where it's been a negative interaction despite their best intentions with someone who looks like you as a white educator or white woman educator um or they have family members who have been negatively harmed by by trusting the wrong white person at the wrong time um so yeah that's kind of what i'm i'm thinking that empty piece can go a long way uh and i think that there are significant empathy gaps when it comes to interacting with with black 
folks, especially if you're not black. And even if you are black, I know I'm, I'm rambling. Let me wrap this up. But sometimes we, we struggle with internalized racism. And sometimes we're harder on each other. Um, and those are those are still conversations we need to have, but within the, the umbrella, within the context of white supremacy, though. With that being said, with if Black Lives Matter in school, dot, 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 what is being done in our schools? Popcorn, anybody? Just go, like I said. I'm not going to handcuff anybody. You know, there's more being done in schools, which I believe there's why there's been more attention to schools all at the same time. Like the reality is like we can introduce concepts like anti-racism, we can introduce things like opportunity gaps, we can talk about things like, again, diversifying the profession in ways very clearly, openly, and at this point, I think a, a lot of different things happen. Like our schools in certain states are very afraid for our students to learn more about things like critical race theory. Our schools have inserted in places all across the nation are afraid for our students to hear that blackness is something that has been simultaneously celebrates a rich culture that also might undermine uh, undermine education system somehow to the fear that they're afraid of talking about things like social interactions, emotions, and learning. And those are some things that we need to take a lot of pause in. And so like when we talk about it, like there's real work being done. I think we have a chance to really talk about a lot of different chances in our lived curriculum where we're able to represent and provide more diverse uh, faces and voices in those ways. We're all used to now actually go to original texts and sources and talk about the contributions of black history being centered in American history. Um, again, so that there'll be very public pushes against like 1619 and saying it's only 1776, but understanding like the antecedents of our country are long and spanning and deep and complex. So I, is there progress being happened? I think yes. That's why there's a lot of pushback happening at the same time which I think means that the work we do as school counselors is more important now more than ever. I'll jump in and say that um, to Steve's point and other points that were made previously, um, I think you know, what, what's happening now with Florida and, you know, other states being incredibly vocal about curriculum um, and what is shared with students, what is talked about in students, you know, um, it's, it's nothing new, like the, the strategies and the tactics to um, to lessen the exposure to culture, period, um, but in particular, Black culture, um, Black experiences, Black perspectives. I think that that has been where America has tried to go time and time again. Um, and we've seen iterations of this exactly, standardized testing, all of it, where 
you know, parts of this nation try to get back to this, this place where, um, you know, there, there is this supremacy, there is this standard. And so I think, you know, sometimes that just fuels me to do even more, you know, it's, I'm going to do a lot anyway, because I'm Alicia and I've always been doing a lot since I was like eight months. Um, but I'm, I'm going to continue to, and educators and school counselors and teachers are going to continue to make sure that our students know how to exist in this world with each other, you know, which is essentially the basis of so many of our lessons and our stories that we share with students. Um, to John's point, to increase that empathy, to show you know, our students that you can appreciate, respect, difference. Um, you can live with this. It's, it's, not, it's not a thing. And I think our students know. I think our students know. I've never been, and I've worked in several different schools, where students know, children know that there are differences between people. Um, and they also know that they would rather be friends with someone than not on a very elementary level. Um, and even at the high school level, they are inquisitive. They wanna understand like, if this is such a big deal, why is this such a big deal to the adults in our lives? Why is this such a big deal to the school board? They're, they're naturally inquisitive. And I think we have a responsibility to continue despite you know, those loud voices, despite those legislators who, and those you know, officials who have power and we need to recognize that they do have power. They have a platform um, where they can reach millions and millions of people, but there are millions and millions of students and there are thousands and thousands of school counselors and teachers. Um, and so we need to be equally as empowered, if not more empowered to continue to, um, to show students that there's a better way, there's a different way to be. Alicia, what I love saying it just kind of went back to like one of our uh, for national school counseling weeks. Like my students help me dream big by the, the more that they are trying to work against the system and create something better for all of us. I, it inspires me to do more every day too. So yeah, I, I feel you there. I was just having a similar conversation um, around school counselors and advocacy work and the voice that we have um, collectively, if we, if we, <laughs> if we put them together and, and have, and have that voice, um, because I think, yes, have we been able to do more in schools, um, to support black students and to bring, you know, have conversations about, um, anti-racism and looking at curriculum and different things like that, um, but then we get the pushback, right? And that that group has been pretty loud. And then I think the folks who were trying to have some who weren't who weren't us like Laura's and Alicia's from eight months um, <laughs> who are just starting to try to do this stuff. 
get scared and pull back, right? Um, but if we, those voices are loud because they put them together, but our voices can be louder because there's more of us to put together, but we have to do that, right? And we have to be willing to be a part of that collective voice saying these things. Um, and, you know, from from everything and and hearing the voice of our students in, in partnering with them. Um, I mean, I'm in Georgia, John's in Georgia. We, you know, yeah, we're in Georgia. Um, but we have some amazing like Georgia Youth Justice Coalition that formed and are like if if the adults could look and and see what they did and I'm I'm telling you like I heard of them and all of a sudden they are all over the place and they are working they are putting action in they have you know trainings they are doing like institutes to help other students learn how to do this work. They have people who are assigned to legislative. They're at the Capitol um, right now during legislative session every day, like they're assigned to that. And it's, you know, but that's another part of it too. Like we've got to hear their voices and, and see what they're doing and go, oh, we can learn from them too, to see how do, we can put all of this stuff into practice and into action um, if we come together as a voice to do that and not be scared of those who are pushing back and, and saying things that quite frankly are outrageous um, and not letting them be the only voice because we're scared of that loud voice because our voice so much can be so much louder and kind of squash this whole, you know, what all these things mean when we're talking about anti-racism, when we're talking about, I mean, belonging <laughs> belonging which right social emotional learning um all of these things that we it, we know is right and when we don't use the term and just describe it everybody agrees right um but i think also if we as school counselors look um for those who don't know kind of the tenets behind black lives matter um if you just read that without the title black lives matter um it aligns perfectly, right, with what we as school counselors should be doing in the work. So um, I think we have to continue to be educated and informed, but then come together and use our voices because we can kind of squash and tamper down that the other the other side of things. Oh, yeah, Laura, I love 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 everything you said there. Like the one part I really tell myself sometimes on those hard days is like, particularly at this point in my life, on those tough times, like my students are always going to be much more impacted by the system and the damages that it does and demonstrate much more courage just by showing up to every day than me with my paycheck and pension as I show up trying to do work on their behalf. And like the one part that you really hit, like which is the point of this week is like, I mean, if we're going back, uh, you know, like in time over 75 years to the start of like school counseling, like the reality is like, it's, it's disparate. Like maybe we're changing schedules. Maybe we're helping people to apply for colleges. Maybe we are working directly with students and it is in these multiple different roles that we create a collective identity for ourselves. And so like our shared profession, 
our voice, shared voice, that is at the essence what the profession is. And like, if we're not using that to service students, particularly those that we understand, our education system is tremendous opportunity, but sometimes at a tremendous price. The reality is we do not need to pay that price for all of our students. I think that part of the conversation has to also be um, about explicit skills in addition to systemic changes that need to be made. So what, what types of access, what types of opportunities are currently limited? Um, and, you know, especially the ones that are correlated with, you know, racial disparities. Um, but then also it's like, there are specific skills that our students need to navigate systems as they are, but then there are those skills that they need to kind of brainstorm and 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 kind of create systems as they could be so that they can work and actively move toward system change. And I think some of the events taking place are really important for that for both of those things, right? Like, um just even like us having a conversation or engaging in in these topics is valuable because i think you know there may be some topics that were brought up tonight i'm sure there are topics things that we've already discussed that people were like oh i wasn't thinking of it that way or oh i didn't realize that was happening but then it's like when we look at blm schools right night with free minds book club Writing workshop exploring the poetry of incarcerated youth as part of our commitment to attend the systems and networks of care, right? To make the domination, erasure, and dehumanization, dehumanization of Black people and Black life obsolete. I mean, I think the idea that people, well, the idea that anyone has to be incarcerated is disheartening, right? Like, but then when you like think of when you think of it as a fact that um outcomes are a function of individuals interacting with their environment it's like we focus a lot on the individuals and what they're and what those deficits might be without acknowledging that there are lots of systemic failures that are predictable and often designed to be failures and yet we consistently blame individuals without taking ownership and accountability for folks who have the power for things to be the way they are and and i think that i think anyone is like people make bad choices, especially if they're in bad situations. But if you're like 12 or you're 10 and you're in, like you're incarcerated, I mean, I think just being able to hear stories of people who are going through the system, who maybe made one bad decision, but then it cascaded into a bunch of horrible other things. Like, I think that, again, we're, we're pulling back to skills that can help us navigate now and and like, you know, potential and potentially create a better system um but like i think it is helpful to hear stories about how that could have been you like as a black man I, it's like it's so it's so much comfortable it's so much more comfortable to be like hey i'm you know i'm here because i made all the right choices but the reality is that there are a lot of wrong choices that i made i just got lucky and depending on how i look there's more luck out there <laughs> You know what I mean? And I think just having that conversation and being able to acknowledge like, hey, 
yes, you are doing great things. You are making good decisions. But part of the reason you are where you are is because you you haven't got caught at the wrong place at the wrong time. So, like, yes, we need to be having these conversations. And even just talking about it is a skill set. Even practicing and processing your language and really trying to make sense of how you feel and what you've been through, all of that is skills, are skills. And then on the other end, it's like there's an event on here that really just talks about Imagination Lab, listening project, right? A collective imagination exercise in which we openly, open-heartedly dream up safe schools, communities, and futures. And I think sometimes, like for me, coming from like a scientific chemistry background and trying to balance that with like the innate spirituality that exists amongst Black communities, right? Sometimes like my reaction to certain things is like, oh, that's kind of woo-woo. That's really like you getting real like, area like you getting real floaty you know what i mean but but we need to be floaty sometimes right because being grounded in in this reality it it creates difficulties when we're trying to create a new reality so i love the idea of like illuminating and envisioning new things because part of the reason that we are still here and and it's not the biggest part but part of the reason is that we don't have anything to replace this with and it's really difficult to to use that skill to just like dream up new stuff, right? Something that that is not acting against what's already there and something that I actually truly, it. like what does a safe school look like? What like That's why I do appreciate the question that, you know, we kind of led with because it is, it is a, it, it's a muscle that needs to be flexed. Like if we are going to create a, a, a world in which National School Council Week and Black Lives Matter, like we can, they intersect and we don't have to like have some type of panel to really get people to to realize that that National School Council Week takes place during Black History Month every year anyway. You know what I mean? Like if if we're in a world where where you know these two things already align and overlap and correlate perfectly, what would that look like? And I think that is a that's a powerful question and conversation that we I'm glad we're having, but it's like you you got to have muscles. You got to practice that skill too, um, and and I think this is an opportunity to do that. So I got appreciate. Like yeah, we're thinking about what skills do we need to teach our kids, what skills skills do we need to navigate this current system, but then also with that Black Lives Matter at school, we just like, nah, like it doesn't have to be like this. So let's start thinking of things to replace this with, and and I don't think we do that enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, just, I mean with the imagination lab and like what we're talking about is starting these voices about creating something new. Like if we take like the traditional lens of like black history month, all we are telling is for 28 days, different stories of some inspiration, in the context of an ongoing narrative of black trauma. And if we're really going to do be transformative, I know that we're saying some Wakanda forevers in the chat right now. Like the reality is like, we need to take some opportunity at the same time to imagine black futures. We need to imagine like what it could be if black lives really mattered at school. And so, yeah, there are plenty of different things. I am excited for Thursday's event of the Imagination Lab amongst many other things. All that being said, how has BLM impacted the education of our kids since, um, I'll just give a couple of names, Philando Castillo, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Eason, blah, 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 blah. 
Anybody can start. I told you I'm not handcuffing nobody tonight. I'll start then. Since everybody's taking their time, I'll get your thoughts together. As a person that was at a 99.2% school, African-American uh, populated school, and then moved to a school that's 78% African-American, uh, none. I'll, I'll say that. The main thing the kids worry about is making how who's gonna be at the house when I get off of, out of school. Where my mama at? Where's they see they see with with, with especially with George Floyd? We see this all the time. It's more embedded trauma with them. We as blacks, it's, studies have shown that we have been dealt with trauma since 16, 19. So high blood pressure, you know, all those things trickle down. But as far as I haven't seen much change, I haven't seen anything affected by it. I've seen the kids more affected by Chadwick Bozeman passing more than Philando Castillo or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Jacob Eason or Tyree Nichols, um, which just happened in Memphis, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. Um, that's just from what I see, I, I'm just one part of Georgia. Um, but I don't know. Somebody else go. So I already said it all. I think to, to John's point about this, I mean, I really, really am drawn to this idea of imagining something different, imagining that future, um, imagining a different way, a better way. Um, because I, I do think that we are desensitized, you know, maybe by design um, to violence, um, certainly physical violence, um, not necessarily to like corporate violence, right? Certain types of violence um, are really um, exposed and repeated through the media and, and other outlets to be, you know, um, things that we should worry about or think about. Um, so I do think, you know, in, in some ways we are desensitized to the point where it's difficult to imagine or it's it, it feels fruitless um, to imagine something different, something better, something peaceful, um, something harmonious, something um, you know, joyful that human beings deserve. Um, so, I mean, my, my school community is very different, um, because it's, um, I'm not at a public school and it's, it's, um, affluent by design and, um, you know, our students are very privileged. They have a lot of advantages. Um, and I think, you know, our area, our community in general, um, you know, feels for the most part pretty safe. So when violent things do happen, I think we um, have a, you know, a pretty, um, you know, harsh reaction or, you know, just a very um, surprised sometimes reaction. Uh, but, but overall, I mean, I think um, when students, to that point, when students do have um, more exposure to and experience with 
that practice of imagining or that um, what shouldn't be a luxury, but um, the luxury of safety. Um, I think they are more inclined to understand or know that we shouldn't have to live like this. No one should have to live like this, right? Like some students are, you know, you hear on the news and people are like, oh, you know, something bad happened that doesn't happen. And we're so surprised that something like that would happen in this community. Um, I think this generation coming up, these current students might question that a little bit more. Like, what is it about this community that makes you think that you can experience violence of many different types? And exploring what those types of violence are. When you're in it, when you're living it daily, and you have to constantly worry about whether or not you are safe, right? Um, that's a different experience, and you might have a different relationship with that imagination. Um, and it's certainly, I'm always inspired by people who live in it, who, who live and breathe it daily, who are still at the forefront of making things different. I think those people sometimes stand out in the community um, and we need to be listening to them. So yeah, I mean, overall, I think, you know, um, I'm hopeful that young people will not lose their sense of um, activism and their sense of critical thinking as they enter into their professions. Um, I think sometimes we lose some of that when we have mortgages to pay. Um, but I hope they keep it, I hope they keep that sense with them um, as they get older. Or, or when we have concert tickets to buy. Uh, but... <laughs> Are you saying that because you got tickets? You got the hookup? Oh, <laughs> I need tickets. I, I, talk, talk to me after this. No, um, no, coming in, along the way you're gonna need to like stay at home i'll take those off your hand <laughs> right man. right you you can't go out john yeah man I, I mean priorities right priorities um so um go out for the right reasons um no like i think that um all of that is just it's like it's it's frustrating right it's it's very real and i think our schools you know are failing really because blm is so polarizing or it's been made to be polarizing as a political movement but i mean it's powerful that's part of the reason it is so polarizing is because it's also been uh co-opted in some ways or it's been um misused or mislabeled in other ways um and so i think the reality is that a lot of folks are in survival mode. And I think that as schools, it's like, especially the schools that probably need it the most, they're probably underfunded. They're probably, um, they're probably, they, they're probably excessively stressed and experiencing stressors on a regular basis without having um, enough staff who are, who are also um, trained properly to support those kind of students. And those staff probably are dealing with vicarious trauma in their own trauma. Uh, I mean, so it's it's just really disheartening when you if like when we start to peel back the layers and, and like really magnify in on, on the on all of the schools, but specifically the ones that really need the most support. It's like those are the ones who are also experiencing the most challenges. Um so I think in terms of school support, the other piece is uh we don't we don't really do a great job of class analysis. 
we don't really do a good job of social economic status analysis. And so, yeah, like, what does it mean that that now when you don't have as much property or you don't have as much access to capital, you're you're more left in the traditional sense. But when you start to become more vested in this capitalist system, how are you navigating and what does that mean in terms of, you know, Black Lives Mattering? Right. Like, is it is it black rich lives that matter at that point? Are you you know, are you know, how do we respond? And I, and I am trying to make sure that I am having honest conversations with myself, my friends and family around that, because because I like by no means am, am I rich or anything like that. These student loans will not allow that to be possible for a while. But like the reality is that part of the social class conversation is different as you get more degrees, as you interact with different people and, you know, different experiences, different things come up. So I feel like another way that we we definitely could be doing better from a school standpoint of like is really having that class analysis. But of course, you know, we, we can't, we definitely can't talk about class. The only thing we can't talk more about class is race. Um, the only thing we can't talk about more than class is race. Um, so I, I feel like that's an area in which we drop the ball, but I do appreciate dialogue around what does it mean when you do, when you can't afford a mortgage, right? Are you, how do you make decisions that still are inclusive when you have power? Um, and, and what is, what does sacrifice look like when you have enough, right? Like if you have more than enough, the reality is we say that, Hey, you don't have to give anything up if you have privilege. But the reality is that if there if if we have more than enough, but only certain groups or have more than enough, right? If we if we have a lot of resources, but they're just allocated to particular groups, then some people might need to give some up. And after they give some up, whether it's power, whether it's capital, whether it's you know other forms of resources, material or not, will you still have enough to be okay? Yes. So I, I don't I don't know what that conversation needs to look like in more of a scaled sense, but I feel like there are lots of things that at schools we're not there we're not doing well, we don't navigate well. We could be doing better, and I think class analysis is definitely um, on that list along with the whole Black Lives Matter conversation. John, I, I, like I'm just here. I'm listening to everyone, and like I, when you're talking about enough, like the one thing that I keep on saying to myself, but like, is also like, just what is ever going to be enough? Cause like I, the frustrations and the realities of our education system, they, they are more apparent now, now more than ever. But at the same point, like I, I look at things like, um, there's, there's never going to be enough for the lives lost due to police related homicide. There are never going to be enough when it comes to the children that we failed not even to reach a diploma, but never even had that as a possibility to the way that we have either shuttered them or siloed them or kept them from needed resources at any point in time. But at the same point, like, not that in the, not close to bridging those pieces, but different since George Floyd has died. Like I had a counselor reach out to me and they were wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt to school this week for Black Lives Matter at school week. And one of their teachers, who I guess they didn't have much rapport, thanked them because it was the first time a staff member had worn such a thing. Like here in Pennsylvania, we have emerging 
culturally relevant and sustaining practices framework so that all of our teaching staff, as they start to emerge, um, are going to have training and education as far as culturally sustaining practices for all of our students. And I don't foresee that happening in 2019. It's like in all these things to say, like I am very proud to be uh, on one of the most diverse boards for a school counseling association that has existed in history on a night where a school counselor of the year finalist uh, is quoting Maya Angelou and getting shout outs from other black counselors and even previous black school counselors of the year celebrating the work and the visibility of our profession. Like all these things are to be celebrated yet none of them are going to be enough. Um, so I think has it impacted education? The answer is yes. But is there more work to be done, Fabian? The answer is far too much. Oh, I forgot to turn on mute my button. I'm sorry. Um, we are running on an hour. I think you have time for one or two more questions. Take one or two. One. One? Okay, let's do one. I'm going to go ahead and jump to this one. Since we talked earlier in one of the questions, we talked about Black perspectives. Uh, I want to jump to this question. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to call somebody to start first. Alicia, I'm going to start with you, of course. Um, what is the importance of HBCUs in our students? Um, HBCUs are everything, and I am biased because I went to one. <laughs> so see, you know, I'm modeling... Um, recognizing your bias and being transparent. Um, so Where'd you, I, Where'd you go? I went to Howard University, the Mecca. Never heard of it. Washington, DC. I, I, don't, I don't know where that's at. I don't know where that's at. So look it Never up. heard of it. Google us. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that Black students should have all the options. They should have options of, of where they want to go, how they want to study. Um, if they choose to go to college um, and I believe that black students should know and understand and believe that they belong um, wherever they you know decide to go. And so I think specifically with historically black colleges and universities, um, you know, talking about intention, talking about, you know, the, the foundation or the framework or the, you know, guiding principles of an institution, they were created for, and sometimes by, not always, but definitely for um, Black students. And so, you know, I've had many friends who have gone to HBCUs. I've had friends that have gone to predominantly white institutions. Um, and I think ultimately the HBCU experience is different um, in many different ways that may be for, you know, that may fit or may not fit a, a student's priorities. Um, but ultimately, you know, our curriculum, I mean, particularly at Howard is centered around the black experience. So every single, college and uni I mean I'm sorry Steve is distracting me <laughs> every single course that we were um, to take in in undergrad was centered on the black experience from statistics to um, family you know family uh, psychology um, to our English classes right our English classes 
centered and focused on black literature. And so sometimes you, you know, may get that in other spaces. Sometimes you may have to sign up for things like that in other, in other places and spaces, but um, that is the that is the HBCU experience, you know, not to mention our homecomings are everything. So no, I mean, I, I think too. that <laughs> you know it's 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 for certain students that want it um, and that you know appreciate it for what they're going to get. HBCUs are um, unfortunately, terribly underfunded um, and so I think that that needs to also be understood what that means for a student who's going to attend these these particular schools but I'm a champion for HBCUs for now and well into the future. You, you know like uh, the one question I have for you is like when we look at it is a dire time when it comes to like higher education I think there's a lot of questions I need that have us need to reflect on the profession since like in the past year, I believe 662,000 students have dropped out of higher ed not to return according to the National Clearinghouse, which from March 2020 makes that number roughly 1.3 million students to drop out and not return, which is like both of the Dakotas are college dropout right now or pick a New England state. Um, and then with that, like, I know I, I was reading, um, who, I was reading a, a poll, um, a Gallup poll, where they're interviewing students who had dropped out and what used to be money, finance being the number one reason is now stress. And so I guess one of the questions I have is like, like in that context of really us looking at possibly an existential crisis for higher education. What is the unique role of HBCUs in the 21st century now? I think that that's a great question. I get paid um, to these questions, John. Yeah, I, you said really fast words, so I don't know what you just said. But, <laughs> I get paid to ask questions, John. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Make that money. Don't let it make you. I think that. Um, I think at the end of the day, HBCU. Like, where would we be without HBCUs? Like, let's start there. And I think whatever conversation we have should flow from that. And that's like, I didn't go to HBCU, but I watched a different world. I grew up in Atlanta. I wanted to go to Morris Brown. I then wanted to go to Morehouse, but there are economic barriers that made Georgia Southern made more sense. But the the spirit of blackness and pro-blackness flowed through me. So when I was at Georgia Southern, I got connected with the black organizations and with the black people and the black mentors and the black folks that were showing me love. And so I think that a love and affirmation and support and encouragement of black people is at the center of this conversation. And that's in response, not even in response, because I think we were showing love to each other prior to like white supremacy being a thing. But I think it's, it's like a resistance and an active and the actively working to end white supremacy. Uh, well, more of a resistance that, that brought HBCUs into the picture in the first place. Cause what, what else were we going to do? Where else were we going to go? Like so many of us wouldn't be here today if, if not for the AUC, right. If not for all of these different schools that were formed, because we could like we were we were literally risking our lives 
to just make our lives better, right? So I, I don't think we have that conversation enough. Like literally, there wouldn't be. <laughs> we can talk about sports, and we can talk about uh, you know, college sports specifically. But a lot of these schools wouldn't exist if not for HBCUs that gave Black folks an opportunity to go there. And um, a lot of these Negro League types of situations where Black folks couldn't play in major leagues, but then as soon as there was a financial incentive to do so, we siphoned all of that, all of the 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 merit, all of the quality, all of the experiences that were positive, and they just, you know, flow towards more white affluent spaces. But I think at the end of the day, um, that is the, that's the thing. Like HB, like every Black person, every person really needs to understand that, like, for Black folks in America, the fact that you can go to a Harvard, a Yale, a Princeton, a Georgia Southern, uh, um, a UGA, uh, you know, a Georgetown, the fact that you can go to those universities now is only possible because HBCUs existed. So I think that needs to be a frame of the conversation. And also acknowledging that, yo, they are vastly underfunded. There is money that specifically was supposed to go to land-grant institutions that were HBCUs they still are HBCUs that they never got that money. And the narrative is so much, that's so much more honest than just saying HBCUs are poor or they mismanage money or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I just feel like that needs to be, and with, when we talk about the importance of HBCUs, it needs to be framed appropriately. The conversation needs to be framed appropriately. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, um, I think that, Obviously, like Alicia said, so much of it depends on your needs, your fit, what you're looking for um, in, in terms of higher ed. But at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, HBCUs and, and college and higher education, um, they, they are super important and they do have a space, but they don't necessarily need to have a space in everyone's life. And that's OK. And if we and as we look at what the role is for higher education and specifically HBCUs in the 21st century, I think there's a powerful gap in terms of, um, you know, us really being career driven instead of college driven, really being career driven and trying to determine, is this a right fit for you? If you are really passionate about carpentry, do you need a four year degree to figure out that? You just spend a bunch of money, but really you want to be in, a, in an apprenticeship somewhere, right? Like I, I think I think the role for HBCUs, which is difficult in, when you're in survival mode and, and you need funding and stuff like that. But I think a powerful role for HBCUs is really to help determine like, or and maybe it's really our role as counselors <laughs> to really help determine what career do you want to have? And do you need to spend a bunch of money to go to college to get that career? What do you need to figure out what you want to do in college while you're paying hella money? Is there is there a way to do that before you even get to college? And I and I I think if HBCUs can be more involved in that conversation in some way, shape, or form, you would have fewer students going and not coming back. You know, what I mean, you will have fewer students who are who are ultimately saddled by college debt in the way that we are. And at least we have degrees to show for it that can help increase our earning potential over time, hopefully. But ultimately, I just think there needs to be more of a career focus and a, and a what do you need in life focus versus let's get you in the door and let's make some money. Let's get you to take this test. I don't know everything about college board, but I know y'all not feeling college board. <laughs> but but like but yeah, I I know that. <laughs> I know there's a there's a uh, industrial complex <laughs> complex there, yeah yeah yeah. And so, what can HBCUs do 
<laughs> to to really try to shift away from how can uh, systems make more money to what do individuals need, um, black individuals specifically. So. Yeah, John, just think about it a little bit too, though. Like, I, I don't think it's the career focus. Like, if we're listening to, like, how students are leaving college due to the strain and the disconnectedness, and despite having what we understand still high return on investment for a bachelor's degree, despite the exorbitant costs, like, I, I think, like, Alicia has said before, like, in the antecedents of our HBCUs, and I think our answer to the future is not that they provide access to careers, it's that they have an access to communities, safe communities. And I think that's really when we talk about at the end, like that's one place that we as school counselors, I think there's some disconnect. Like we have the ability to talk about safety and building culture in our schools and elevating cultures in our schools. And they get to have a chance at a career to complement that at the same time. Yeah, and I and I'll just say this. This will be the last thing I say. I think there's there's also a challenge with disillusionment, yeah. and so a lot of people getting the message that college is the thing that you need to do, whether you black or not. Community is not going to be where you're not going to find community if you're not supposed to be there, right? If if you don't want to be there, if you don't need to be there, you're not going to find community there. But I do agree with what you're saying in the general sense. I just feel like disillusionment in general. It's part of the reason that a lot of folks are not are not coming back and finances as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I want to say this on the issue because it's, it's part of like what John said, what Alicia said, but it's, you know, yes, providing our students with all the opportunities that are out there in front of them. And when I think of what we, like with my middle school students, um, specifically with my black middle school students, they don't even know, right? They don't know that this is HBCU, but, but like what, what that is and that it exists and what that can mean for them, especially when they have gone to schools where that, that would, that's such an opposite world, right? Um, but also understanding, like I even have some like high school leaders that come over and work with my students and, um, one right now is a black female. And so she's considering between two schools and one is an HBCU and one isn't. And, but that's part of our conversation, right? Like where that feeling that community and comfort, because you can't, I went to a PWI and you can find it, but it's not in the educational spaces like Alicia has, like it's had at Howard, like it's where it's in the classrooms and stuff, because I purposely took certain classes, right? Um, at, at the, the college that I went to, but that's around African-American. I think when I can particularly think of African-American poetry and um, storytelling and stuff, right? Um, but it's still filled with white students. <laughs> and so the the connection that I had with the, the professor and some of the other students in the class still didn't have that community that I know it would have had at an HBCU because of who was in the class and, and how that changed the dynamic of the class. And so you do have to search out that. It's, so it's like another piece to the, the work of being um, in college. And, and, but a lot of times the place that you find that community is in the social spaces, not, it's not in the, in the classrooms um, oftentimes. Um, but I think what 
my, what I've seen with my students and, you know, they're not into high school yet, but it's just that the opportunity is out there and that these places exist um, because it's beyond their comprehension at, at the moment. It is not a parakeet, it's a cockatiel and she likes to talk too. She's, she's Zoom famous, just like um, the, the cat was earlier, but it's a podcast, everybody can hear the bird, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna wrap this by saying the HBCU experience is the greatest experience in American history. That's all I'm gonna say. No need to prolong it. That's the statement because if I went away to HBCU, I'll be working at Crystal or Walmart or somewhere. That's all I'm gonna say. Fort I, mean, I, wanted State to Chain, to I wanted to go to Hillman. I wanted to go to Hillman. I need to. I want to go to everywhere. Hillman, I want to go everywhere out my house. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to wrap this thing on up. Steve Sharp, Alicia Oglesby, John Wosu, Laura Ross. I want to thank you for spending a Tuesday night with me on the Council Connection. And may your, may your school counseling week be ever filled with more melanin and everything else you want in your life. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to see y'all friends and hear you. Love y'all. Likewise. And hopefully we'll see y'all in Atlanta yeah. turning up for conference. Let's go. HBCU. Let's go. See y'all then. See y'all. But we'll be right back with some more Council Connection right after this. Thank you. This is the part of the show where we do our housekeeper items. Of course, you can find us on the Twitter at Fade to PSE. You can find us on Facebook at Council's Connection with Fabian Vix. So many different ways you can listen to my podcast. And I'm going to give you the list of ways you can find my podcast. I have this memorized almost. So, more platforms we're going to look at. Anchor, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Podcast, Radio Public, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. You also are able to drop a question on Parent Portal. And just go on to my page, anchor.fm forward slash Fabian dash Vix. Scroll down to the middle and click on the message app and you can leave a voice message and you can ask any question that you may have and I will answer the question on the next podcast. You may also support this podcast by clicking the support button, which is next to the message button and do your thing there, do your thing there, do your thing there. Um, of course, we're always looking for bright administrators or counselors or teachers or people in education or anybody in pop culture so we can talk about how a school counselors um, played played a role in your life and just, just chop it up and just talk about whatever. Um, that's my housekeeping. We're right back at my final thoughts right after this. Talked out the fence like it's
common sense. Got a monkey on my feet like it's common sense. Got gorillas in the streets like it's common sense. Stack the money heads up like it's second nature. Got a stair pulled up like it's second nature. Keep a chip in my hair like it's second nature. Big wonder make me sad like second nature. Base final thought. As I'm recording this during the week of National School Counseling Week, this has been a very odd NSCW. Reason why is because the start of my week, I was in the hospital. Um, had some abdominal pains over the weekend. I just thought I could fight through it till it got to a point where I could not sleep Sunday night going to Monday to go to work. I was in so much pain. I was up at 522 still, and I texted uh, two administrators in, uh, one of my co-counselors, and told them, hey, I'm not going to make it. I haven't been to sleep, and I'm still in pain. Um, I'll let you know. They're cool with it. Um, so I went to the, to the urgent care, you know, baby ER. Uh, there was some medicine to, to help with the pain or whatever, so... So the first two days of National School Council Week sucked for me. I was at home taking meds and trying to be back on the man for Wednesday for the kiddos. Um, one thing I've learned on those two days off, I'm not going to lie, I didn't sleep at all Sunday night, but that Monday I was in and out of consciousness because I was tired of some of the meds I was, meds I was taking making me um, sleepy. Uh, but the one thing I realized, there's nothing wrong with taking, there's nothing wrong being out sick. There's nothing wrong with it. You got to take care of yourself. I'm a person where I got to be almost dying or it's to a point where I can't move for me to call, call out work because I just believe in, that's my work ethic. And Monday and Tuesday, I'm not sorry for missing work because I wasn't feeling well and I was not to a point to be my best for my kids. That's what we have to do as counselors. We have to make sure that we we have to be at our best for our kids because if we're not at our best, we're not going to help them get to their best. So by me missing two days of work, a lot of kids ask where you've been at. Everybody, all the staff, you know, my grade levels happy to see me. Glad I was back, and I was happy to be back and everything. I just um. That's just a self-check moment for my self-care, which I started to do a lot more this year with um, not taking my computer home unless it's a break, and I, you know, I'm arranging music or something like that. And I'm drifting off a little bit to get to my main point of National School Council Week and why we do what we do. Um, I have I have a TikTok, of course, on Fabon Sacks. Um, I do content for like music covers or that type of stuff, and I'm not using it for school counseling. I'm just using it as covers, you know, just to get, you know, I play. I'm a decent player. I'm all right. You want to check me out? You can check me out on TikTok. You can check me out on YouTube also, but, you know, you need a wedding or a gig or whatever. I can, I can hook it up for you. But creating the content, realizing, like, dang, I'm, I'm playing, you know, Miss my kids at school, but at the same time I enjoy playing my music because you know sometimes I create a uh, create a Dutch time wind down where I play during lunch or whatnot. Um, and this brings me to my point I'm bringing up with be at our best for our kiddos. So 
I came back Wednesday. Uh, of course, National School Council Week. You know, sometimes, you know, work week been busy. Some grade levels, you know, supposed to do stuff for you. Some folks might not. We're not going to discuss what my grade level did or didn't do or my building. Because, it's, you know, that's intimate. Because, you know, those are your coworkers and, you know, they do things for us. You know, when brag and make some folks feel bad. So I'm not going to say what they did. But but one thing that that, that did touch me, um, as an ESC student, they had um, one of their teachers had, wrote up, had the kids write cards to me saying, Happy National School Council Week. And I'm going to read the card to you, what the card said. I'm going to read the card. And this one student. It said, thank you for helping people in seventh grade. I know we I know we get on your nerves, and it said mostly me, but you still do your best while performing instrument skills that you enjoy, and happy counselors week for Mr. Vicks. Now, that right there touched right there. Now, give me the wrong spelling errors, but I can care less about the spelling error because, you know, it ain't what it is. Well, that touched me right there. The funny, it's funny because I know me, mostly me, but I appreciate you, and we all appreciate you, even though we get on your nerve. First of all, y'all don't get on my nerve. When y'all don't do the stuff we tell y'all to do, and it, and, it, and it, there's a consequence that follows, that gets on our nerve. But I do appreciate notes like that, little things like that, because the, the last time I seen kids give me cards was when my dad passed. And it was the self-contained um, students. All those kids, they they were high um, high performing kids. They gave me cards of, um, when my dad passed, and that was touching because I was coming back. Um, my dad, I died February thirteenth. The next week was winter break, so we went to um, after the after the funeral was on Saturday. I went back to work that Monday because it was after the break, and I got back to my office. I was. Walking around the building, you know, that's my one of my main things that I do. I talk to everybody in my in my building to let them know and you know speak this building culture. So if you're not doing that as a counselor or administrator, you're gonna lose the culture of the building. Just speak to folks, see how they're doing, just check on them. Even the custodians, the cafeteria people, I make it my point to try to speak to everybody in the building every day. But that's another story for culture. I'll, I'll do a podcast on culture and climate. But um, just seeing those, those little kids in my office, when I saw that, I, I went to tears. And this one right here, the one I, I just read to you, I almost went to tears. I almost went to tears. Because this kid, he's, he's, he's a challenging student. But just for him to take the time out to write that for me, little old me, that touched me right there. That touched me right there. Especially if I was not feeling my best earlier this week. And notes like that make me feel my best. We don't do it for the money. We don't do it for the recognition. We just want to see that kids notice what we do. And we do our best to make them the best version of themselves. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. Of course, you will be back next time better and better than ever. I'm out.